Now, this isn't an option for everyone, and we'll get into this with, you know, immigrants, people who don't have their PR, yeah. um, that don't have their citizenship, is things are a little bit different for them, a little bit more difficult, but there are still options, which is gonna be different for everyone. But if you are making a major purchase on a car, or if you're gonna be financing that car, meaning you're having monthly payments, that's gonna decrease the amount of a mortgage you can qualify for. Now, again, both of us being from cities with very high prices, that's typically, aside from saving that down payment, being able to qualify for enough is the biggest concern. So if you're taken away from your ability to qualify, it's not that you can't get a mortgage, but you can't get a big enough mortgage. Hello, everyone. This is Harpreet. Welcome back to the channel. Uh, today, I have a very amazing guest today, and I'm so much excited and looking for this episode. If you go to like previous month, I recently like released a video. I promised to everyone that I'm going to try to bring experts from various fields. And in that video, like I specifically mentioned that there's one interest, I'm one field I'm particularly looking for, and that was real estate. So I have a guest, very knowledgeable guest in that field. He's not, not only the real estate professional, but he, you can also say that he's a real estate TikToker. Like he's specifically targeted the Canadian market. He has more than 40,000 followers, more than I believe 300,000 likes. So he provides valuable education content with a little bit touch of entertainment on it. So without any further ado, please welcome with me, Alex Dunbar. How are you, Alex? Good, thanks. How are you, Harpreet? I'm good, Alex, I'm good. So Alex, like like I mentioned, you are a real estate professional, of course, but you also have a social media platform, which we don't see that much like real estate professional people on it. Specifically, like in Canada, if you have like an interest in real estate, there are always video comes related to real estate on your for you page. But then if I, I would be honest, like there are not so many Canadian real estate, like specifically targeting Canadian audience. So how it happened like why do you think on why do you think of like coming on this platform and use this for tiktok specifically or social media yeah, for in general? tiktok generally honestly part of it was just out of boredom during covid and the other part was just seeing that there was a need that wasn't being fulfilled so i had seen some other real estate professionals and other professionals in different industries on tiktok but for the most part, I thought it was just a platform for 14 year olds lip syncing and dancing. But I had so much downtime, I said, hey, you know what? Let's throw a couple of videos out there. Let's try and educate some people. Like I thought it was primarily a um, uh, entertainment platform. Mm -hmm. But then I started to realize like, no, people actually want to learn stuff here, especially in these little bite-sized nuggets. So started to put out a few videos. All of a sudden, like, I think it was my fifth or sixth video had like 100,000 views. And I realized like, wow, there's actually some potential here. And because with the other platforms such as Instagram or Facebook, they've really limited your organic reach for people who don't know what organic reach is. It's pretty much reaching new uh, people outside of your own followers, right? Mm. And TikTok really tries to push that. So I was able to be reaching people all across Canada, um, again, throughout BC, Ontario, New Brunswick, like literally everywhere. And when I started to get all the feedback, I was like, wow, there's actually an opportunity here for myself to start to educate people as well as entertain them, which is gonna be a win-win situation for everyone. Yeah, and then like you started on TikTok, but like I mentioned, you specifically 
like share all the education video to the Canadian market to the Canadian people. And we always like see real estate videos from coming from US as well. But how you would say that is the is Canadian market a little bit different? Is maybe there's a geography difference or maybe some market different? How would you say that the Canadian market is different compared to the other countries? Definitely. So there's are some uh, differences in the home buying process itself, as well as the lending process of getting mortgages. Um, so a lot of stuff, there's, there are a lot more lenient in the States. There's a lot more rules and regulations here. And so you, a lot of times we'll see these gurus that talk about wholesaling or yeah. real estate investing, and they make it seem so, so easy. And now, even though it's not easy for them, it is a lot easier for them there than it is here. And that again comes down to different rules, regulations, just our markets operate differently. Like there's not too many places in Canada where you can find a detached single family home for under a hundred thousand dollars, right? Like in your area and my area, it, it would be hard to find a condo for under 300 or $400,000, right? So there's just, there's a lot of differences and nuances between the two and you can't, you really just have to be listening to real estate professionals that are from your country and more specifically from your province. Although the majority of rules across Canada are the same, there are slight differences province to province. Awesome. All right. And like, I will be honest, when I came here, since just like last few weeks, the, I was always thought, I always thought like the down payment you need is at least 20% for your home buying. And that was the concept. Like I thought, okay, this is real. I have to now uh, save 20% for the down payment. Like, is this too? Uh, I just recently got to know. No, you can actually buy the home with the less less than twenty percent. Like, why do you think like this is common in the fairland? How much you can pay less actually? So to go over the general guidelines of the minimum down payments required for anything up to five hundred thousand dollars, the minimum down payment would be five percent. Um, between five hundred thousand and just under a million would be five percent on the first five hundred thousand. So, mm -hmm. essentially twenty-five thousand on the first five hundred thousand, and then ten percent on the portion between five hundred and a million, and then over a million dollars, it's going to be twenty percent or greater. Okay. And there's a couple things to note here: is that if you're paying less than a twenty percent down payment, that's going to be called an insured mortgage. And so, what an insured mortgage is, you actually have to pay for mortgage insurance. So what mortgage insurance is, is essentially it's protecting the lender. So the bank or the credit union or whoever lends you that money in the case that you default on your loan, which means you don't make your payments, they can then uh, recapture that property for you and try to sell it um, to make up, you know, the difference in what that mortgage amount was. So it's really protecting, but it, and that, that insurance is actually protecting the lender and not you. Because on, again, on their end, they have to make a profit. And if you mm -hmm. stop paying, there's no profit for them. And the only way for them to make that up is to recapture the home and sell it. Okay. So one of the things that people, I guess, aren't always aware of, as you mentioned, is that you can purchase a home with less than a 20% down payment. Now, this isn't an option for everyone. And we'll get into this with, you know, immigrants, people who don't have mm -hmm. their PR, yeah. um they don't have their citizenship is things are a little bit different for them a little bit more difficult but there are still options now i do want to make a disclaimer here is that i am not a mortgage professional i do have quite a bit of knowledge in that field but they're definitely gonna be the best people to talk about 
to about you know the nuances the specifics of your unique situation but i can definitely go over some of the general guidelines mm -hmm. um, and now one of those also being that if you're self-employed sometimes you don't, uh, don't have the ability to use these exact guidelines so a lot of times they may want you to have at least a 10 percent down payment um, again it's case by case but someone with a full-time salary job, they have, uh, they can kind of utilize more of that spectrum of the between five and 20%. So there are definitely options are uh, like, you can pay less than 20%, but there are so many factors affecting on it. Like, all right. So Alex, like uh, this conversation, I really just want to target to the first time home buyers in Canada. Like, Maybe they are just residing here or they are PR as you mentioned or they are citizen, but there are some of the things like they should be know of, or maybe there are some might be things there in the outside, like they should be aware of before they uh, buy their first property. So to begin with, I, I was like having this conversation with my friend and I don't know if it's true then again, like I just want to talk with you about that. He mentioned that you shouldn't buy a car or maybe a big purchase before the closing of your property or before before even thinking about buying a property like is this true or, or like how so yes so that kind of comes down to when you go to get pre-approved for a mortgage to find out how much you qualify for what they're looking at is a mixture of things so it's your level of income you know your type of employment how much debt you have your credit score um and then even the amount of years that you've been at your work or if you're past that probation period, which is gonna be different for everyone. But if you are making a major purchase on a car or if you're gonna be financing that car, meaning you're having monthly payments, that's gonna decrease the amount of a mortgage you can qualify for. Mm, okay. Now, again, both of us being from cities with very high prices, that's typically, aside from saving that down payment, being able to qualify for enough is the biggest concern. So if you're taken away from your ability to qualify, it's not that you can't get a mortgage, but you can't get a big enough mortgage. So again, some very general guidelines, like take this with a grain of salt, but for every $400 a month car payment, you lose roughly $100,000 in mortgage money. Wow. Which is, is significant, right? Especially in the markets that we're living in. Yeah. It's already difficult enough. And if you're taking that away from yourself, it's gonna be very, very difficult to make that purchase. I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, like specifically in the cities like we're living in, just 400 payment and you're gonna reduce amount of by 100,000. And even to begin with, like you are getting the home, like if I correct, like in this market, you are just gonna get a home, just starting price gonna be just 400 or 500,000 and then you start looking after that. So this is definitely a good point for first time buyers to, uh, prevent themselves from buying a big purchase. So Alex, so you have a lot of clients, you meet with a lot of people. I just want to ask, I'm really fascinated about this, that what do you think, is there any right time to buy, maybe right age or right financial stability in someone's life? When should a first time buyer or a newcomer in Canada should start, like even start thinking about buying a home? What do you think about it? A good question. And I think the earlier you start planning, the better, the best time to buy. 
I mean, the saying is always the best time to buy was always yesterday, but it's really, it really does come down to your own unique situation. You do want to have some financial stability. There's other factors that come into play, even such as your own risk tolerance per se. Right. Um, but you definitely don't want to just completely empty your bank account for your down payment and have absolutely nothing left. I would always suggest someone has some sort of a reserve there for a rainy day or we've just gone through COVID, right? How many people that was so unexpected. And if you didn't have, you know, in my, and this is my opinion, you should always have three to six months worth mm -hmm. of um, income saved mm -hmm. for situations like that. As we've just seen, it may not be the best time for you. But again, there's other ways to get around this. Maybe you have a parent that co-signs or you have a gift or something. And, and we're just going through times where this is being more apparent that it may be required, especially if you're a single individual. Again, those are just some other options that you can always explore. But yeah, it really does depend on where you're at with your career. You know, how stable is that job? Um, are you able to make these monthly payments? Are you doing this? You know, uh, is your career going to change locations? So maybe someone such as what we have is an RCMP officer. Um, they may be changing locations on, you know, a few year basis. So my rule of thumb again is if you're going to stay there for at least three to five years, always a good option. If you're planning to move the following year, it might be a better idea to rent. Now, the reason mm -hmm. for that being is that the real estate market, it moves up and down upwards. It moves in cycles, it moves up and down, but over the long run, it's always moving upwards. And for the most part in the last hundred years, over periods of five years or longer, we've never seen prices stay down, even if they've gone down. But let's just say hypothetically, you're to buy now, we do see a bit of a dip in prices and you have to sell, now you're selling for a loss. So it really comes down to, is that first place that you're gonna be living in, is that more of a long-term thought or are you just trying to, you know, get into it right away because, you know, your mom's friend's brother and everyone else is telling you to do so. So again, I don't think there's a specific number per se that makes sense. Um, and again, one other factor I'll bring up is there is the conversation around, should I save 20% or not? Right. Do I want to pay the mortgage insurance or not? And now I could give you several examples and actually look at numbers where 99% of the time it's going to make sense because of the appreciation. You're going to make that and more plus the principal pay down, which is going to cover that um, mortgage insurance in the first year. Right. But for instance, let's just say you're a high income earner. Mm -hmm. Let's say you just got out of medical school. You might have all the student debt, but all of a sudden you're making 150,000 a year. Yeah. You may be able to accumulate that additional 10% in one year period. Right. But for the average person, let's just say you're making 50 or 60,000 a year, how much can you really save in one year, right? It might take you two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Now, if the market's appreciating, and then the number I like to use is 3%, that's very conservative. You've seen in Toronto, we've seen it go up by over 10% in one year. <laughs> but even looking at it very conservatively, if you're continually chasing that market, even by the time you had saved what you thought you needed to, now you have to add an additional 10 or 20% on top of that. So yes, many factors to consider, but for the most part, if it's a longer term plan, the earlier you can get in, the better, as long as it's in a comfortable financial situation for you. Yeah, interesting. So Alex, like just now you mentioned that for the average person, it's gonna take maybe some years to even save for the down payment. But like, and you may see 
uh, it might be common, and I really want your experience expertise here. Here, that what are some common mistakes the first time home buyers make during their first property? Like, and what how, what do you think? Like, how they can prevent themselves for from making those mistakes? I think some of the biggest mistakes are just not preparing early. So. For example, the first thing everyone should be doing is getting a pre-approval for a mortgage. Gosh. Now that is when we'll say you're, you're a couple months out, but even before that pre-approval, you should be having conversations with people like myself, with mortgage professionals, with anyone else in the industry. What you want to do is find out where you are now and where you need to be in order to make that purchase. Now, a good example of that is let's say you've saved that down payment. You've got a good income. You know, you've used some online mortgage calculators and you say, hey, I can buy a property for $500,000. But come that time when you actually go to get pre-approved, you didn't realize that your credit score was too low. So if you had, you know, done your due diligence a few months, a year, two years before, found out, hey, my credit score is 550. I'd like to get it up to 680. What do I have to do during this time period? You wouldn't run into that issue later on, right? So that's one major issue. Again, there, there's so many that come up, but another one would just be making a purchase that I think, again, you just didn't do your homework on or you didn't educate yourself before. So for instance, you're buying, like a lot of us will have to, a strata property. So a condo or a townhome or a semi-detached. We don't have as much semi-detached here, um, but I know it's more common where you're at. And not taking into account all these additional expenses. Right, because when you're renting, you're not thinking, okay, I have strata fees, I have to pay for insurance, um, any sort of, well, not as many repairs because that's typically taken care of by strata, but anything inside the unit itself. There's so many additional things that you don't really think of until it comes that time, right? So it just really comes down to doing your homework, educating yourself early, asking questions, finding the right professionals to speak with that are willing to talk to you you know, maybe it's a year out because that's a problem. I think some people may run into mm -hmm. is that you speak to a mortgage broker or a real estate professional and they tell you come back, you know, in six months when you're ready. Right. Whereas my goal is I want to educate you now and empower you so that when that time comes, the process is going to be flawless that we're not figuring, finding these things out at the last minute. That's good. But talk to me more about like this credit score, Alex, like, why this is important, why this matter, the credit history, and how much a credit score is good for a good mortgage? Definitely. So with an insured mortgage, which I had talked about before, which is mm -hmm. less than 20%, ideally you want 680 or above. Now, if there's two of you that are applying for that mortgage, you want at least one of you over, two of you would be best. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't get a mortgage if you're under that. The number we kind of like to have people above at the minimum is 600. Now, again, because lenders look at each individual person's file, they like there's so many factors that can, come into play. Sometimes if you have a bit of a lower credit score, but everything else looks a lot stronger, maybe you have a very high income, you can show that you made payments. And maybe this just happened when you were, let's say 19, um, and let's say you're 25 now but you missed a few credit card payments, you weren't really aware of it, and that's been affecting your credit score for a long time. If you can show that you have a good buyer profile, sometimes you can actually get away with a bit of a lower score. But as some benchmarks, we like to see above 680. Um, not to say that if it's below that, that you can't get a mortgage, but it makes things a lot easier. 
Dubai has to like pay more maybe in the long term if he has a, like a they has a lower credit score you think so yes exactly typically we have there's things called like an a lender a b lender and then private lending so a lender would probably be all your big banks mm -hmm. um b lender could potentially be a credit union or another sort of lender and then private lending uh sometimes they'll call that hard money but that could be different private corporations that lend out money and so what's going to be the difference there is your interest rates typically so for instance right now we're seeing a lenders with rates i mean we've seen as low as one percent however i would say on average people are seeing 1.6 to 1.8 percent mm -hmm. right now which is ridiculous like it's historical yeah right and then you move to a b lender now maybe you're between two and three percent um again there's some variance there but that can really add up over the long run mm -hmm. uh, and then when you go to private money I mean, that could be eight to 12%. That's not really where you want to be. The, again, we're talking about first time home buyers. That's something that an experienced real estate investor might be using for different reasons. But for the most part, if you're buying your own principal residence, you don't want to be uh, touching private money at all if you don't have to. Yeah. Got it, got it, Alex. So I I just want to like share the normal conversation. Like I, I always, I. I always has a like huge interest in real estate. So I talk about it with my friends, but sometimes like people share their stories and they say like, nah, the house prices are very expensive this year. I'm going to wait. I'm going to die again next year. But like I try to look up, I try to do some research and I see that from the last five years, the prices are just going up in Canada. So what you would say that, is there any way we can figure out the right timing to buy? or when is the right time to just buy for a first time buyer? I think it goes back to when you're ready. Like if you're able yeah. to get into the market, you're able to purchase, I think that's always the best time. Because the saying goes, it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. Because yeah. real estate is a long-term investment. It's the same if you're investing in, you know, stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, you know, if you're, if you're investing in an index fund, right, which is kind of matching the market, those are things that are, you know, appreciating 8% a year on average per se. Right. But that's not something you put your money into and pull out right away. You're, you're keeping it there for the long run. Mm -hmm. It's the same with real estate. Gosh. So especially again, in the markets that we're in, where we see great appreciation in the greater Vancouver region and the greater Toronto area, um, really whenever you're able to get in, I think that's always best. Got it. Interesting. So how you would say that so you mentioned that the market is always like like go up and down but in the long run it always go up but how do you think like this whole covid situation impacted the house marketing like did you say more buying in the market or did you say like more selling of the properties so in the very beginning in you know march april yeah. of 2020 everything kind of came to a halt very immediately and I think that just really came down to a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know how significant this virus was going to be, how much of an impact it was going to make on people, how dangerous it was. But after those first few months, after regulations and uh, lockdowns kind of lessened a little bit, people yeah. started to get a bit more comfortable. And so what you have to remember is there was people in January and February prior to that time, there was a lot of demand for buying, right? Mm -hmm. Now, all that kind of got held up. So once restrictions and everything came off, there was pent up demand from previous that pretty much was pushed forward and then all just kind of rushed into the market. 
So there was a massive demand from buyers. There wasn't a ton of inventory, so a number of listings. And pretty much since then, we've seen the number of sales and prices um, increasing in both, specifically again in the greater Vancouver and Toronto areas. So now moving forward, the biggest issue, again, for both markets that we've seen is there's very low inventory. So there's not enough homes and there's a ton of buyers. There's a few things that are impacting this. Interest rates being so low is one of the biggest ones because money's cheaper, right? Like I think we look back to 2018 rates, they're closer to, we'll say 3.6 versus now at 1.8. You're pretty much saving close to $100 per $100,000 of mortgage money. Now that's, you know, getting a bit technical, but if you were to put that down on paper, that is a lot of money, hmm. right? Let's just say, as we said, uh, let's say a first time home buyer buys a $400,000 condo. That's an extra $400 a month in mortgage payments. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot when you add it up by the end of the year, right? Um, again, there's a few other factors. I know people were worried about people defaulting on their mortgages. So they weren't able to pay because of job loss or anything else. And now what we've tended to see actually is that the people that lost their jobs weren't in the market to buy real estate. A lot of those people were in the service sector. So they might've been servers, right? Things of that nature that no. don't necessarily have high claimed income. Now, not to, not to single them out, but you know, if people who are collecting tips and, and things like that, a lot of them don't claim all that income. So they weren't necessarily even able to purchase a home at that point in time. Whereas some of the middle to higher income earners have actually shown they have more liquid cash at this time. They're actually saving more money by being forced to stay at home and work. So again, that was an argument many people wanted to make is that we're going to have all these job losses and people aren't going to be able to afford their mortgages and we're going to have all these defaults, but I really don't see that happening. And as we can see with the very strong demand from buyers, there is so much demand right now and we still don't even have immigration right now. If you look at those numbers, like how many people are supposed to be coming in, what's going to happen when all those people start coming back into Canada? Those people need housing. Mm -hmm. We're not keeping up with the demand. Like we're not building enough to keep up with those numbers, right? And I think we're going to start to see, again, there's, there's students, maybe foreign students or people that are studying from home right now that may not have the same requirement for housing. Uh, so again, it's a, there's a variety of factors, but I really have a hard time seeing this market cool down anytime soon, at least for the next, next extended while. It, it will at some point, again, the market moves up and down. Um, but I foresee it, you know, being quite strong for the next while here. Alex, like you really made a good point here. Like immigration is not that uh, like fast, like which is it used to be because of COVID people are not coming in, but the demand is still high. So it's a really good point. But Alex, like, I don't know about in your region, but here in GTA, there's a very common concept is like house hacking. The, even for the first time home buyers, they, what they try to do is like buy a home and maybe give half a portion like a basement uh, to some tenants and try to like get the mortgage covered from, by, like from them. So just for that perspective, I just really want to ask here is that if some client came to you and they are trying to buy a, their first time uh, property like as an investment property, but they maybe are overestimating the returns from it. How you think like someone can identify correctly that how much they're gonna get 
from their from that home from their tenants and in the long run are they like making profits or they are just getting by what do you say i think you always need to use conservative numbers and for instance that's why i use 3% as passive appreciation so passive appreciation being how much the market's going to rise with rents you know take the lower end of the rents let's just say you think you can rent it for between 2000 and 2400 use 2000 as your base number right because if you get more that's fantastic but in the worst case scenario we want to make sure that you're still being profitable now the big thing again it with the greater vancouver area and the greater toronto area is it's very hard to cash flow a property so to be cash flow positive meaning that your rental income is more than your expenses because in our markets the greatest source of roi is going to be appreciation mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you shouldn't purchase a property that doesn't have positive cash flow because it will at some point later on but we just have to take into account it should be very close to neutral or even just slightly negative mm-hmm. we have to take all those factors into account to say what is our actual roi it's not just you know if we're having to pay 100 200 dollars a month into that property that may not be a bad thing if that property is going up by 3% a year if someone else is paying down our mortgage and there's all these other factors so again in terms of what you're talking about with house hacking fantastic strategy i think it can be one of the best things again as a first time buyer to get into the market now there's a few things we have to consider there so if you were thinking of it in the sense of buying a condo and renting out a room you can't use that towards your mortgage qualification but you can obviously use that to put towards your mortgage payments but if it actually has a suite in it like a house with a suite we can put that towards your mortgage payments now for example here that's the hottest market a detached single family home with a basement suite and spe- yeah. for us again specifically in the kind of under 1.3 million dollars now that's not going to be um applicable for more, most first time home buyers mm-hmm. but people are getting you know on average maybe $200,000 in extra mortgage qualification from the potential rental income mm-hmm. right so it, it's a very attractive product to most people they want to have that tenant in the basement or they might live in the basement and rent out the upstairs mm-hmm. right so it again i think in our areas it, it is very difficult to get it to line up the way that all these like investors and gurus say um but you just have to run the numbers again be conservative with your estimates and just again speak with professionals to get their advice on each situation good talk good talk alex uh now i really like this is very important question like one of my own question like you can say i wanted to ask you think like there is a way first time home buyers can save money a lot of money during the like the negotiation or maybe transaction but that's that way or that method is not most known as like people don't know about it you think like there is sometimes some kind of ways people can use to save a lot of money from uh, for their first property that people aren't aware of so there's a couple things to consider here number 1 is the current state of the market so i would say unfortunately right now it's very difficult to negotiate the same sorts of things we could do in a buyers market because we're in such a sellers market Yeah. Now I know you guys are probably seeing some of the same activity but if you're going into a home that has 30 other offers yeah you don't necessarily have the ability to you know nitpick all these little things and try and get some money back. 
Um, whereas in a buyer's market, maybe homes have been sitting on the market for a longer period of time, or they're just clearly overpriced. You may be able to negotiate a better deal or have the seller make some renovations or fix ups that you find wrong with the property. Um, while that's not necessarily applicable to a lot of the homes we're seeing at this time, but I guess some of the things that people may not be aware of, let's say, are some of the first time home buyers programs. Um, one of those being property transfer tax. Now I believe you guys call it land transfer tax. And so as a first time buyer, if the property's under $500,000, you're actually exempt and up to $525,000, you're partially exempt. And now what the, what those usually are is it's 1% on the first 200,000 and then 2%, um, up to a million, I believe, or is it 2 million? It's 2 million. Sorry. So it only really applicable within that $500,000 range anyways, but that saves you up to $8,000 right there. Right? So that's something you consider as part of your closing costs or things of that nature that you actually don't have to pay as a first time home buyer. Now on new construction, it doesn't matter if you're a first time home buyer or not, you actually get the same exemption up to $750,000. Interesting. Okay. So, and which kind of leads me into my next point is where I'm seeing some of the potential opportunities right now. So, in the resale market, it's just been absolutely insane. Again, with the detached, yeah, we might be seeing 30 plus offers on very attractive properties. Townhomes are semi-detached, you know, it could be between 10 and 15. Condos have not quite caught up yet, but I think that is the next big opportunity because typically the detached market, um, the attached market or specifically condos kind of trails behind it, but they, they typically follow the same patterns. So it's gonna reach a point and as well with the uh, immigration and investors coming back into the market that condos are also going to see a run as well. Now, I believe again in the Toronto market that I know condos are down pretty significantly over the past year, 10% or so. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I'm thinking that people should be trying to get into con If they're trying to get into condos now is the time, because if you get into the situation where you're dealing with five, six, seven, eight other offers, it's going to push that prices higher and higher and higher. And now the other side of that, where I'm really, really seeing the opportunities is assignments. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with assignments, but what an assignment is, is let's say we have a pre-sale project. So someone um, bought a pre-sale in 2018 and it's not gonna be done until 2021. Mm -hmm. Now let's just say they paid $400,000 at the time or something like that. Now it's coming up to the time where it's actually gonna be completed they're selling their rights to that contract, to that unit, to another consumer. Now, what I'm seeing there is they may have, it may be more or more than likely is more than what they originally paid, not in all cases, but there's some negotiation room there, as well as the fact that prices have already appreciated. So it's more in line with today's prices than previously. Um, so instead of having to get into these bidding wars, you can go in, actually have a bit more selection, get a brand new property for a more reasonable price. And now there's also the other side of the coin where people try and use this as an investment strategy and sometimes it doesn't work out. So you don't actually have to qualify for your mortgage with a presale until completion. So as long as you have that down payment, that person in 2018, mm -hmm. they may have just put down, let's just say $40,000, 10%, 
but not been able to qualify for the mortgage. Maybe they're a student, maybe they, you know, got a different job. Now that the time comes, their whole plan was to assign that contract, but maybe they're having trouble doing so. So they may be able to give it to you at a discount because if they don't, you know, sell that contract, they're actually going to be in major legal trouble because they're financially obligated to complete on that contract. So again, this isn't every situation, but I think we're going to start seeing these come up more and more. Um, and again, that's just having a, a real estate professional help you out, look for these types of deals. I've noticed they don't show up on some of the primary sites as much. So I think, I don't know, we use rew.ca or realtor.ca or two of the bigger ones. And yeah, sometimes these sorts of deals aren't showing up there. So again, get in contact with a local real estate professional that may be able to help you understand these deals because they are a bit more complex, but I do think there is some great opportunity there. Yeah, you mentioned that like it's very important to meet with real estate professional, but now you are the real estate professional yourself, but I just want to see like, what do you think from the side of the home buyer? Why do you think like it's much, must important for them like to have a real estate in their deal or to meet with them, to talk with them? before even start thinking about buying a home? Why do you think a realtor is important for them? Definitely. Um, there's just, there's so much liability and so many things that can go wrong in a real estate transaction that you really want someone involved that understands that process, understands what those kind of things can be. Now I'll actually tell you a quick story. So just a few weeks ago, I had some clients, we were looking at some condos out in, Abbotsford so it's a city nearby and while we're going through the process they ended up really liking it and we went to go make an offer but um, what we find with these strata properties they have strata documents attached so these are things such as you know are there any major expenses coming up in the building maybe the roof needs to be replaced um, maybe there's leaks in the past maybe it's not insurable like all these different things that can really not turn out well for you and so while doing my due diligence on that property, I found out that the building was actually having a major special levy, which essentially is a one-time fee from all the home buyers that live there, or you know, sometimes it's paid out differently, to pay for the roof, to pay for the building envelope, to pay for major expenses. Now this was a $1.6 million expense that was gonna be put on 54 homeowners. So if you do the math quickly, it's around $40,000. Yeah. Now, if you don't go through that process properly, you don't have the right conditions in your contract and you move in and all of a sudden, two months after you move in, you have a $40,000 fee. And just to be honest, like their down payment wasn't even that size. I mean, for lack of a better term, you're, you're kind of screwed. You're stuck. Right? So again, that's just a personal story just to show that, not to say I was a hero, but I was on their side making sure that they were protected. Right, you want to make sure it's someone that's looking out for your best interest, isn't just trying to get a paycheck. Because how easy would it for me to just kind of like push that off to the side and say, "Hey, whatever, like let's write the contract and let's mm -hmm. just get you into the home." Yeah. But at the end of the day, like that's you know you never want to see that happen to someone. That that's devastating, especially something of that nature. So yeah. there's just so much involved in the whole process that can go wrong that you may miss that there's legal things on the contract. You don't want to get yourself legally obligated and into a situation that's not beneficial for you and realize that, you know, if you had someone that was reading through those contracts or reading through those strata documents or whatever it may be, could have advised you differently. Um, 
The same being looking at prices on a property. You might think something looks incredible, but when they go back, they look at comparable properties, you know, the area itself, everything else. And they tell you like, Hey, this place is actually overpriced. You know, we could, we should actually be getting it here. Or, you know, the other thing I would say right now is just people not, I don't want people to waste their time. So they might see a property listed. Let's just say it's listed at $600,000. They get excited. What they don't realize this realtor is listed at low on purpose to draw a lot of attention to create a bidding war. And it's actually going to sell for 700,000, right? If you're not aware of that, you might go in, get all excited. You write your, you know, you write your offer at full asking price only to find out like someone else had written at 700,000. But if you had known that it was priced low, you could have kind of just saved yourself the trouble. I, I never like, that was a great example. Like I never thought about it from that side, like maybe property are listed low to have a bidding war on it. So that's like interesting. And I also like have a same opinion. Like you should always have like maybe someone professional reading through all the contacts, contacts or helping you through, right? But what you would say, like, this is again, which I thought personally. So I believe like there are tons of people out there, which also think same is that it's going to cost you money to have a realtor. What do you think, like how much it costs for you, especially for the first time home buyer, because they are, they're not looking to spend some money on another things. Why do you say that? Definitely. Well, funny thing is that's a great question because it's a very common misconception. And a lot of people think it costs a lot of money to have a buyer's agent or a realtor that helps you purchase a property, but it actually doesn't cost you anything. So the commission for both the buying agent and the selling agent are paid for by the home seller themselves. So it actually doesn't cost you a single thing. Right. And, and many people aren't aware of this. Um, and I think that's why they may be scared to, you know, build that relationship with someone because there's this expectation that they're going to have to pay X amount of dollars, mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually cost them anything. So I can't like recommend enough to have that professional on your side from the very start as early as possible to educate you again, whether you're a year out or two weeks out, right? Like I always say, it doesn't cost you anything. There's no hourly fee, right? So get them involved in the process as early as possible. Now, the other thing I will say to touch on this is if you're going to engage, you know, a real estate professional, they don't get paid until that transaction's gone through. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people will do is kind of abuse those people because they're not thinking about it, putting themselves in those people's shoes, right? So I think it's, it's very important to be, to have a transparent relationship between each other, right? If something's not going right, tell them, don't stay quiet about it. If you would like to explore other options, tell them, right? Like they're working as hard as they can for you, hopefully. Um, but they're not actually getting paid for that until the end transaction occurs. So it's just important to have a level of trust, to show loyalty, and just to be transparent with each other at the end of the day. Do, do. Uh, Alex, like, I would be honest, like, this was the same thought I had, like, I, because when I started to looking, like, I still rent, but when I, just for my own fun, like, I started looking to buy a home or maybe home prices. So I always thought, like, I should do it by myself because I'm, I don't want to pay some realtor, but I didn't know that it just don't cost you anything. So how you would say that if someone wants to find a realtor, like, so there are so many people out there. I, I'm sure like most of them are very professionals, but how you say, 
how you suggest that to what someone can do to find a good realtor for them mm -hmm. so so that realtor can take care of them definitely i mean there's many ways obviously you can find people online you can call different brokerages but what i think is more important that i'm going to cover is what sorts of questions to ask them mm -hmm. so the first one being are you full-time or part-time I have a very difficult time telling people to use a part-time realtor over a full-time one because this market moves so fast, yeah. things are changing at all times. And especially in a market like this, you need someone who's always available for you, or at least within reason, of course. Yeah. And then, so my take on this is a part-time realtor, they don't even trust themselves enough in the business to go full-time. So how can you put your trust in them? Again, not to talk down on anyone's part-time, maybe they're just getting into the business or something else. But again, that's just kind of my view on that. The other thing would be, are you on a team or not? And there's nothing wrong with being on a team, but you want to know if you're talking to one person, is that who you're going to be dealing with? Or are you going to be passed on to someone else? So there's two sides to this, is that a properly built team may have someone who actually is better than maybe the leader, at their specific job. So just for instance, certain teams may the leader or like the top person on that team, they might just be a listing agent. They just might list properties, but they may have a couple different buyers agents. Maybe one spe specifically looks in Toronto. One is in Brampton, right? Yeah. Those people may actually have a higher level of knowledge in those specific areas than that leader. But there's the other side of the coin is maybe the leader is just trying to flip off business to other people and they're getting referral fee or, or whatever that may be. So it's important to ask those questions. Um, location, location is a huge thing. Where do you primarily work out of, right? Like there definitely can be a bit of variance, right? If, if you're around the GTA area, that, that's fantastic. But how far are they kind of stretching themselves, right? Like if they're an hour and a half, two hours away from where you'd like to buy, are they going to have the best level of knowledge versus someone that lives in the area or just operates out of that area. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of questions you, you want to interview a couple of people always yeah. kind of see who you mesh best with. It's also important that you're going to get along with them because there's people that may be incredible in business, but for some reason you just aren't on the same page, you know, um, you yeah. don't speak the same when i say you don't speak the same language i just mean that you communicate differently mm -hmm. right it, it's very important to have a good relationship with that person because if you're spending you know multiple weeks or like over a month multiple hours talking to them going to see properties everything else like if you can't stand that person no matter how good they are at what they do it's probably not going to be an enjoyable experience it's too alex like if we just think about it like just buying a home especially if you're a first-time buyer it's going to be one of your like biggest financial decisions you're going to take in your life so it's like always good to have someone on your side to take good care of you so like thanks so much alex like for giving us giving us time but before we end our conversation what would you say like what's the one and single only advice if you have to give to the listeners who are listening us on the podcast or maybe who are watching us on youtube what would be the one advice you would give to first-time home buyers in Canada? It would just be to start educating yourself early. No matter how far out you are, whether that's five years, three years, two years, you know, just 
start to understand the home buying process, start to understand the sides of financing, talk to those professionals, find out where you are now, and just start to set those goals and create that roadmap for the future. Because the sooner you do that, the sooner you can reverse engineer that process and the sooner you're going to get to that stage where you can purchase that first home. So I would say, you know, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, if you want a, re I have great realtor connections in your area, or if it's someone in my area, I'd be more than happy to help you. Awesome. And, and let's do reach out to you like on social media platform. Definitely. So my social media for Instagram would be at Dunbar group. Um, if you want to see my TikTok, it's at Dunbar real estate. You can visit my website, dunbarrealestategroup.ca. Or if you have any questions or concerns that you'd like to email me, alex at dunbargroup.ca. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex, for giving your precious time on us. And thanks so much. I, I'm really sure this video is going to be really a valuable video for so many people out there. Thanks so much, Alex. No worries. Thank you so much, Harpreet, for having me on. Take care, brother. Thank you.